Welcome, Red Sox fans. Here are the Bastards of Boston Baseball. Welcome, everyone. The Bastards are back for this midweek edition of the podcast. We are brought to you in part by the Minute Media Podcast Network. The Red Sox just wrapped up a three-game set with the Detroit Tigers dropping the series two games to one. It is also their third straight series loss. They are currently still second place in the American League East, one and a half games behind the Tampa Bay Rays. As always, a quick disclaimer for any first-time listeners, this is not a Homer podcast. We call it how we see it. When the Red Sox are dominating, we will celebrate that. When they are getting destroyed, we will be critical and at times savagely blunt. If you are easily offended, press the stop button immediately. But for those who embrace it, let's get rolling. I am Terry Cushman coming to you from Lewiston, Maine. You can harass me on Twitter at CushmanMLB. You can find the podcast account at bastards underscore Boston co-hosting with me tonight from the mile high city of Denver by way of Quincy, Massachusetts, Andrew Dwan, Andrew, what's going on? What's going on? Yeah. I know. I whole, think I'm in the best mood of anyone around here. <laughs> a whole lot of, a whole lot of butt kicking and that's, uh, <laughs> we're on the wrong end of it, but we're going to get into that. And uh, hopefully the next show will be happier. Absolutely. Uh, well, the next show being the Toronto show. We will have deep dives 24 hours after this one. That might not be a happy show either. But also joining us tonight from the nation's capital by way of Newport, Rhode Island, Job Goddard. Job? Well, today's a sad day. I was going to save this for deep dives, but Andrew's happy mood kind of put me over the edge here. <laughs> I resigned my my uh, Martin Perez fan club badge today. <laughs> Officially, I'm out on Martin Perez. We'll get into it during deep dives, um, but I am not in a good mood. This is going to be one of those is it is it Job or is it Charlie kind of episodes. <laughs> That's funny. So, Job, where can they find you on Twitter? They can find me on Twitter at Job MLB, J O B M L B. Uh, feel free to harass me there. Uh, I will respond to any and all comments, messages, resumes, and criticisms. And uh, Andrew, your uh, Twitter handle? Uh, it's at Andrew D W A N M L B. So easy enough. All one word. So another series loss i will say detroit isn't terrible they have a shot at finishing around 500 aj hinge seems to have them in somewhat of a groove right now some of their young pitchers are doing well but this is a a series the red sox probably should have won on tuesday that was the garrett richards start they dropped that game four to two Wednesday night with Erod on the mound, they won their only game of the series 4-1. to And then today was a bloodbath between 
Martin Perez and Hansel Robles both combining for six runs uh, given up. That was eight to one uh, in favor of the Tigers. So we will get into it as well as the uh, landscape throughout the division. But speaking of uh, landscape, we'll go with our sponsor before we get into studs and duds. Attention listeners across the galaxy, all the way from Australia to Boston. Do we have a pew problem? If so, our friends at Manscaped have cleared you for takeoff with the fourth generation and brand new Lawnmower 4.0. Kick your pubes to the next planet with the Performance <laughs> Performance Package 4.0. We are live, folks. The Orbits in your pants will feel like you're at zero gravity when you use the best tools for the job from the leaders in male grooming. Join the 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped and get your rocket ready for takeoff by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with the code FANSIDED20. The performance I can't say performance tonight. Performance Package 4.0 also includes the Weed Whacker. It's like having a little astronaut chop your worst weeds up top in your nose and ear. Get 20% off plus free shipping with Fansided20 at Manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with the code Fansided20 at Manscaped.com. For a clean trinity and beyond, your space balls will thank you. <sighs> they warned me that this, these would be awkward. And uh, I underestimated that. And I can't keep a straight face like Charlie can and uh, go through it as smoothly. But he will be reading it on Sunday. So let's get into studs and duds for this Detroit Red Sox series. Andrew, you're leading off. Who is your dud for the series? And again, we will start with dud since it was a series loss. So, Andrew, who do you have? Mine was Devers. Um, he he wasn't enough. Uh, he had three hits. He went three for 14 on the, on the series. Uh, only struck out twice, but I swear to God, I don't think I've ever seen him leave this many guys on base. It seemed like every single time that they'd set the table for him, nothing was coming through. He wasn't clearing up the ducks on the pond. And if, you know, he's not doing it, we know Xander's in a slump right now. Who's going to do it, you know? So if Devers isn't going to be carrying his weight over at third and just being the masher we need, that sucks. And it's going to give us a lot of problems because – that first game was very winnable. Uh, if, if Richards wasn't great, but if you know you only let up four runs, this team should be able be able to win those games. And I don't. It it just seems like he's popping it up. He's absolutely going for the downs on every swing. We just need line drives to like left center, right center when you know there's a guy on second. That's all we need. We don't need a two run home run every single time. Just get a guy in. I, it, it drove me insane, and I love Devers, but hopefully, maybe on the flight out tonight, they're they're gonna have some discussions. 
Comerica Park is one of the biggest parks in baseball. We watched two triples get hit there today by the same player for the Tigers. Granted, he's hitting off a tee with Martin Perez and, and, and Robles. It's like T-ball. But if you put the ball in the gap, you're going to score runs. And with runners in scoring position, that's what we need to do. Devers looks like he's trying to fix this anemic offense by himself. I had a couple of stats I pulled up for the team that I was going to save for, for my dud, but I, I'm going to just use him now. In our last 12 games, the Red Sox are obviously 4-8. and eight. Not good. They scored three runs per game. We averaged 5.6 for the rest of the season. Run differential. You guys want to take a guess what it is, Terry? Negative 15. Negative 15. Andrew? Um, I would say they've been outscored by 20. Negative 26. Wow. Negative 26. Average with runners in scoring position. Care to hazard a guess, gentlemen? They, I'd rather not. <laughs> they were 0 for 26 with runners at third base coming into today since July 26th. I know that. So from from their last 12 games, they are 160 with runners in scoring position. One out, two outs, no outs doesn't matter. 160. That's Our the batting average. Percentage. That's the batting. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Batting average. Okay. 160. Yep. Our whiff percentage 26.7 percent. We're missing on almost 30% of balls. Whether that's in the zone, outside the zone, that's how much we're swinging and missing at. And our team ERA is a 5.46. I can add on to that real quick. Post-All-Star break, post-All-Star break, the Red Sox are 15th in batting average. Okay, And I get it. It's not a huge sample size here since the All-Star break. We're talking 18 to 20 games roughly, but still 15th in batting average. Their on-base percentage, they rank 23rd in the majors in on-base percentage. In RBIs, they're 27th, third from the bottom since the All-Star break. Run scored, those stats probably go hand-in-hand, but 27th as well. In the past 30 days, their starting rotation, which, again, we'll mostly be getting into in the next show, rotation 25th in the majors is where they rank. This is a bad baseball team in the last few weeks. This is a Yeah, bad I want to get back to Devers real quick here, yeah, Terry. Yeah, go ahead. I, I drag you into the this team sucks rant that I have <laughs> planned. But I feel like Devers is trying to fix – the entire offense with one swing of the bat every time he's up this week. doesn't matter whether he's facing a lefty, a righty, if there's a guy on second, if there's a guy on first, if there's no outs, two outs, one out man on third. This offense for the first three months of the season was getting guys home from third with less than two outs at like a 58% clip. It was the highest in the big leagues by a good margin. They stopped trying to do that. They stopped trying to move runners across. They stopped playing small ball, and they started playing money ball, home run ball, Yankees baseball, and that's how you lose. And Devers has fallen into that rut. And it's not just Devers, it's the whole middle of the lineup, but I understand, Andrew, why Devers is your stud. I mean, today is just kind of an example of it. Even with a heads-up play he made today to take second base on, on a bad throw, he just didn't look like he was comfortable in the batter's box today. And this is a guy, you know, pitching against us who has an ERA of a 5-2. A 5-2. 
with a really, really flat slider. Devers should be hitting that to the opposite field for two bases two to three times today. And instead, he's popping up. I felt like we were at, like, pop-up central. We hit the ball higher than we did in distance today. It's it's unbearable. And Devers just doesn't look comfortable in the batter's box. What he needs is batting practice off somebody who sucks. We're not going to get it in the next series. So I'm hoping this long flight home is going to give them some, you know, this long flight to Toronto, I should say, is going to give them a chance to really talk about, you know, getting the bat on the ball, not trying to do too much, just being a better baseball team. Devers is at the heart of it. If he doesn't score runs, the rest of the offense is not going to do it. Andrew, do you want to elaborate on that or or expand on it rather? No, the only guess I could – I only take I could guess on it in pure speculation is that he knows that Xander might be a little more dinged up than we are led to believe with that wrist and he's overcompensating, but that's just throwing crap at the wall. I, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, and if he is, that's another thing I'm, I'm going to rant about in a minute because it's, it's giving me very much Kemba Walker to the NBA all-star game vibes for, for the Celtics fans to also listen to this show. It's like, if you're hurt, why are you playing in the all-star game? He, he got hurt at the series after in New York. Well, he was hurt before that, though. And we'll, we'll but the, the wrist thing came up in New York true, on the 16. He got hit on the wrist, um, and he was popping balls up. I just feel like this lineup is trying to be hero ball, and we just had it so easy and so smooth for the first four or five months of the season that they're just they're playing like it's the World Series. It's July. They're feeling the heat from New York, and it's going to be – what a hell of a bumpy finish here. Well, a couple of things too. Devers had a bad series, so I'm not agreeing. I'm not disagreeing that he's not a dud, but a couple of things to also consider here. He was moved around in the order, you know, from second to fourth. So he, he's getting his role is kind of switching by the day as far as where he is in the lineup. And Xander wasn't terrible. He was three for nine. So he was getting on base at various points and in those nine at bats Xander only struck out once so maybe he's not going to be hitting dingers but he's he's hitting I mean, for contact th- this team got on base a lot in this series but in the first loss of the series which is the game was pitched by Garrett Loss Richards right you went one for ten with runners in scoring position one for ten that's brutal. It is brutal. That's that's like putting Bobby Dahlbeck out there with runners in scoring position every time. Can't do that. It's not how you win ball games. And then moving on to game three, you had a couple of situations with guys on base, and we're popping balls up, and we're pulling balls into the shift, and we're not playing small ball. And that's going to bring me to my dud. I don't want to jump the gun on any more Devers news, but – my dud for the series is Alex Cora. And it's for that very reason. This team is in a rut, and it started with the trade deadline, in my opinion, not with the All-Star break as far as Cora being the dud. Cora's been the dud for the last two series for me because the way that he's manipulating the bullpen, the lineup card, and situational hitting, I hate it. Every decision he's making right now 
I'm looking at it and going, why are you making that decision? Today, the only decision I like today from Alex Cora, and this is game three, mind you, for anyone listening, is pulling Martin Perez when he did. You pull Martin Perez in with after one and one third, going with him in the first place is a mistake. We've been talking about it on the show for the last three weeks that Martin Perez is done. He hasn't had it since July 5th, or June 5th, I'm sorry. And Cora took the ball from him, gave it to Phillips Valdez, who has been great. But then he takes the ball with a three-run lead, uh, you know, three runs. The offense struggles a little bit, and he gives it to Robles, who pitched the other night, was okay, not great, but had been taxed. Why are you giving it to Robles when you have guys in the bullpen who haven't pitched in three or four days that are actual quality arms? It's a three-run game. You're facing Detroit. A Detroit starter who has a 5-2 ERA and a bullpen that's third worst in baseball. And you're giving up on the game. Alex Cora has been good this season at waving the white flag at the right times. Burning Andres and Valdez instead of burning Ottavino and Barnes is the reason we won a lot of series. But you can't do that in a three-run game in Detroit in the fifth inning. This team has come back year, all year. Every series, it's like they have a chance. They have a chance. You don't have a chance if you're down six to nothing in the sixth inning. But if it's three to nothing, the way this team's getting on base, they can get out of their offensive run. But because it's six nothing, they got to swing for the fences. It's a mistake to bring in Robles there. I think there's another mistake, which is not playing Duran today. I understand that he came in defensively in the seventh inning. I would have played Duran from the get-go against a lefty with a flat slider and gas. The one thing that Duran has really struggled with has been the slider and trying to make sure he's ready for it. So what do you do? Throw him out against the guy who can't throw a good slider to save his life. He threw four sliders tonight that were good, or this today. The rest of his sliders were flat or they were in the dirt. Give Duran a look at a lefty. What are you doing? Bobby Dolbeck is an automatic out. It's it's frankly pathetic. And I, I understand some of the blame has to go with Heim Bloom and the lineup he's working with. But the fact that Marwin Gonzalez and Bobby Dolbeck are in the lineup in a must-win game is frankly pathetic to me. So Alex Cora is my dud for the series. Yeah, I you know, I... I think he kind of just called it on today's game. And honestly, I don't mind as much as you do because I think the next seven games in six days, he's going to manage like a, an elongated playoff series, um, especially with the doubleheader mixed in there too. I, I think we're going to see Ottavino, uh, Matt Barnes, and Whitlock go more than we've seen all season long. I think they're going to get pushed to their max. So um, I don't mind saving some bullets. I think he saw what we all saw. That offense wasn't doing anything. Um, unfortunately, it's just one of those shit situations where you have to put faith in a guy in uh, faith in, in with a guy that you don't really have it with, but you just got to, you hope for the best. And if you pull it out, Hey, that's awesome. But I I have no problem not seeing Garrett Whitlock today because I don't I I didn't think the bats were going to do anything. Andrew and and Terry too. D 
Do you not have a problem with the lineup card that he trotted out today? Well, here's one thing, and we're going to get to this player uh, in a little while, but Kike Hernandez was the hottest bat in the last week, week and a half. He's and been Alex, the hottest bat for the last month. Alex Cora sat him in game one after an off day, and I'm getting sick of this. Our backs are against the wall right now, and there's a lot on the line. There is a lot on the line, and we lost that game four to two. If Kike Hernandez is in the in the lineup, I don't know if if we turn that into a W, but it, it gives us our best chance. Do we want to blow it by either not making the postseason or getting bounced early in the postseason because we tried too hard and we we ran these guys a little bit harder, or is it or is it more? Is it an easier pill to swallow if we didn't try hard enough by resting them all the time? I prefer trying too hard and putting these guys in the lineup. And I'm tired of Cora's aggressive resting against these guys. Is Kike Hernandez tough enough? Would he have been tough enough to play on that 2004 team and rever- and make history by winning four straight games in the ALCS? Would Xander Bogarts be that tough? I, I question it. Well, I now, question Terry, it. My only thing with with the Kike decision, he also got pulled today, playing playing center for Duran defensively. Yeah, and Dahlbeck ended up at shortstop. Up. You know, I wonder if he's a little banged up. We just don't know about it. So that's one decision I'm not necessarily upset with. But if you look at that lineup, and you look at the game one lineup for this series, Marlon Gonzalez played second. You want to guess what Marlon Gonzalez did in this series, Terry? Made some errors. Yeah, you want to guess what he did in offensively in the in the batter's box in game one. In game one, he was 0 for 4 with two strikeouts. 0 for 4 with two strikeouts. Two of those were with guys at second base. Two of those at bats. He had a guy at second base and struck out. Kiki Hernandez probably doesn't strike out in this situation. Now I understand the lineup would be very different. If Kike's going first and not Durant. But if Kike's up with a guy on second and one out, his batting average is like a 246. Marlon Gonzalez hits like 160 after one strike. And he's a 202 hitter on the season. Not to mention that he's ice cold coming off an injury. What the hell's he doing at second base? Well, they need Christian Arroyo to get back and healthy, too. That's. That's definitely a big thing. I understand that, and I I approve of Christian Arroyo at second every day. He's the most sure-handed second baseman we have. But Marlon Gonzalez is, at best, on this team, he's the 2004 Pokey Reese. He's your defensive replacement at the end of games. He's the guy you plug in when somebody is hurt and cannot go. You don't plug him into the lineup every day. I don't care what the matchup is. He's a 200 hitter at best. We've got three of those. Also, and this guy's not hot. He's coming in ice cold. I I want to talk about Dahlbeck and and Andrew. You're you're talking about this elongated playoff run. First base is going to be a black hole in that playoff run. You're getting Dahlbeck and you're getting Cordero and in the platoon, and that's what you're getting. Okay. Why not Schwarber? When is he going to be, be back? By Tuesday. By a week. Yeah, a week at the most. He'll be back on Tuesday. Okay. Supposedly. He'll go to Worcester for a couple days. Well, that's what I was wondering. Okay. Yeah, he, I mean, he's got to go to Worcester. At, at, at most, the earliest projections have him playing Thursday next alongside Chris Sale 
Okay. Him. So for a handful more games, we're getting we're getting the platoon I was talking about, and that's what we've had for the past couple of weeks. Okay. This isn't unique to the Red Sox. Go back to 2018. Dave Dombrowski DFA'd Hanley Ramirez on May 24th. We wrote it out with Moreland for a little bit, and then we went and got Steve Pierce at the end of June. He didn't sit around on his ass, all right? He went and he he, he solved the problem right now. We're hoping Schwarber works out. He's never played at first base. He's got the same exact injury right now that Christian Arroyo had that he suffered in only his second inning of his first game at first base. So I am taking nothing for granted here, okay? This position should not have been a black hole. I get I get that the prices were high leading up to the deadline, but we could have been on this in June of this year, but we didn't. That's literally, on most teams, the easiest place to come up with a solution. And... It's costing us. Bobby Dahlbeck stranded five runners today. He left five men on base today. Game two, he left three men on base. We won that game, so I guess it wasn't a big deal. And I don't think... Well, so, now, Terry, this is another thing that I wish I could put on Cora here because I'm... I'm, Cora's my dud here, and I'd love to lay this at Cora's feet. This is a Bloom mistake. That was exactly a Bloom mistake. Here's one other thing, Job. Kevin Ploiecki is a 292 hitter right now. That's what he's hitting on in the season. Get him in the lineup. I don't care if he's got a catch and Vasquez has to play first. I don't care. Nothing's ideal. But Cora's getting outmanaged by Kevin Cash right now. He's getting outmanaged by A.J. Hinch because he's not being innovative. Okay? You want to know the embarrassing part? Is not A.J. Hinch and Kevin Cash. Those are great managers most of the time. It's the fact that he's being outmanaged by Aaron Boone. <laughs> in the last three, the last three series, been outmanaged by Aaron freaking Boone. This guy should be fired for being an excuse, a pathetic excuse for a manager in baseball, and he's outmanaging Alex Cora and the 2021 Red Sox over the last ten games. He he's not being innovative though, is what I'm getting at. Kevin Cash is the best manager in the division because he every year he takes an imperfect team and gets the most out of it. He's used to these situations that we're dealing with right now with the Red Sox. This is an everyday thing for him. Right now, it's a 2021 thing for Alex Cora, and he's he's not he's not being innovative enough. Yeah, my main issue with the last 10 to 12 games is something that normally I praise Cora for, and I know Andrew and I are on the same page with this. Cora has an insane amount of patience for guys who are struggling for young guys to get them to come through in big spots, to give them the understanding their manager's not going to pull them after a bad game. He's not, he's not Williams, right? I mean, the old days of the Red Sox, Jerry, Jerry Remy talks about it on the broadcast. They'd pull a guy because he went 0 for four and he wouldn't play for three days. Core is the opposite, but sometimes you got to shake things up. We, we praised him for shaking up the lineup card with Verdugo moving down when he was struggling. Shake things up a little bit. Get somebody else in there at first. Get get the bottom of the lineup moving a little bit. I understand we're not super healthy, but our 40-man has some good offensive options. Why the hell is Bobby Dolbeck swinging the bat five times with runners in scoring position? Why? 
There's absolutely no excuse for that. I thought his at-bat in the third inning was pretty good. I think he's been swinging the bat much better than his numbers show. But he's on track to have 250 strikeouts. Well, they don't have the luxury of doing what they did with Hanley in 2018 because they don't have the financial flexibility due to some of those moves they made during the Dombrowski era. I mean, they have $33 million in retained salary that is either playing on different teams or is just out of the league. So that's that sucks, not having that money to play with because they, they absolutely could have found someone or they could have bought a contract but they just don't have that room to maneuver right now. So. Let me ask you something. You're you're the resident Bloom guy on, on this podcast, and, the, and there's nothing mm-hmm. wrong with that. Um, before the season started, not going over the luxury tax. At the trade deadline, there was rhetoric, yeah, we'll go over the luxury tax. So did Bloom not believe in the team last winter, but he suddenly believed in it uh, a week or two ago? I think he gets permission to go over the luxury tax. And I think at the beginning of the year, the ownership without knowing when full seating capacity was coming back, I don't think that they were completely in for it. They didn't know what the season was going to look like. I mean, we're all like, all right, we'll get 10% capacity. Now we're going to get 20. Now we're going to get 25, 50, so on and so forth. So I think that played a huge role. And throughout the league, Uh, except for the Dodgers who were so far beyond the, it's like a dot in the rear view mirror. Um, I think that was an enormous thing. And we saw the Padres, the reports came out today that they didn't even want to go over it. And that stopped them from getting Joey Gallo. Um, And the Yankees avoided it like the plague as well. The The only team not guilty of avoiding the luxury tax is the Dodgers. And that's because, you know, they have the farm system for it. So if they drop spots in the draft, they don't really care. But, I, yeah, I think that the plan changed with ownership. I don't think Bloom gives a damn about going over it because the way the farm system has gotten rebuilt, um, they're going to be able to have that benefit of going over, uh, especially this coming season. And, you know, I think they actually might be over it by the time the season ends based off performance um, – incentives but that remains to be seen that's really hard to find in uh, players contracts i guess xander has a good amount of them but um yeah i I think it was uh a wait and see game at the beginning of the year and i don't think who knows i we found out that the um report of go over because ownership wants to get scherzer was just jim Bowden making stuff up again yeah, I'm not I'm not putting it on on that situation, but there wasn't like if you go back two seasons ago, nobody was spending money and there was the collusion, conspiracy theories, Harper and Machado didn't sign until the first week of spring training. That wasn't the case this season. Yeah, maybe teams didn't want to go over the luxury tax, but Toronto still dropped 125 on on Springer. They did really late. That was really late too. They were the only team. I mean, well, he had a, a qualifying. Lot of guys yeah, he had a qualifying offer. Well, now, None of those guys signed until late, anyway, including Bauer. But I, I actually don't blame Heim Bloom for patience at first base with Bobby Dahlbeck, or for patience with Franchi Cordero. I blame Heim Bloom for in June. 
when he knew the experiment wasn't working. And we were at full capacity. And everyone was healthy. And we knew the 40-man roster crunch was coming. Then making a move. Nothing says you have to make a trade at the trade. But, so if you're talking Rizzo, the Cubs were still in it in June. I'm not even talking Rizzo. And and my reasoning is this. But then who, but what other first baseman moved? In 2018. Another first baseman that moved. But there could have been. Yeah. But no, none did. In 2018, we weren't, nobody had Steve Pierce on their radar. And he wasn't just a beast in the postseason, by the way. He was, he was hit 279 with a 394, nearly an on base percentage of 400 in his regular season time with the Red Sox, which well, was. No, I'm not even asking for a Steve Pierce move. I actually think Kyle Schwarber is a fantastic addition to this team. I think he's going to be great. But I do we too. talked about it for the last month and a half. But is he going to be at first base most of the time? If he's not, I, I don't think so. If, the way that health is working out now, if but that if fails, on all cylinders and healthy, then yes, he should be. If that fails, you've got Bobby Dahlbeck and Franchi Cordero again at first base with Schwarber I mean, in the outfield. Right now, right? I mean, Cora's my dud in this series. I think this team is struggling because Cora is not making the right move. Part of the issue is that he's not being given the right tools. And I understand, for example, that Cora loves Marwin Gonzalez. Why the hell is Marwin Gonzalez up here and Jonathan Arauz is sitting in AAA right now? Jonathan or, Arauz can hit. You no, know, Yairo Munoz actually is, it would be the move. He's got, as of a day well, or two ago, had a 26 game hitting streak. Maybe he's not on the 40 does. man, but. Munoz as well, but I mean, Arauz is not. Week and he's hitting 280. I mean, I he's not on the 40, but. Yar Munoz did just start taking, um, uh, see some action at second. I just, yeah. I look at it and think, okay, Marlon Gonzalez's primary position on this team right now is second base. And he's only getting in there when Kike's not playing. So those at bats couldn't be better served with Jonathan Arrows. You're telling me Jonathan Arrows right now, who has been I don't really think good in his ready. time with the Red Sox, can't hit 202. Can't put the bat on the ball more than once a game. I don't. I, mean, I, I, I would take him. Think, I think their stats would be similar, quite frankly. I would I, take I him disagree, over Bobby, but, but I think yeah. you can buy a luxury ticket in Jonathan Arauz when the team is struggling offensively that you're not going to get from Marwin Gonzalez because Marwin Gonzalez is what he is. You know what Marwin Gonzalez is. Jonathan Arauz no. came up with a rule five pick. You have no idea what he can do. That well, that's why I would like to see him just not even have that pressure and just develop. But that that's just besides the point. They need to get Christian Arroyo and Kyle Schwarber in this lineup. When they have those two in this lineup, and obviously that's super health dependent on a guy like Arroyo. This lineup is deep. You take Duran out, you put him on the bench. Um, welcome to eighth inning pinch hitting, and you know if we need some speed. You have Renfro, Renfro over and right. You have Key Game Center, Verdugo on left. Your infield is pretty stacked. You know, you got Devers, Bogarts, Arroyo, and um, Schwarber. And then I want to see more of a platoon at catcher with Plawecki and Vasquez, maybe closer to 50-50 at least, if not, you know, I, I right agree 100% on, on the catching situation. Another thing, Terry, you mentioned it. We want to see Ploiecki in games. He's hitting. The other thing is, 
Christian Vasquez has caught 70 innings more than the next catcher in baseball. He's caught a lot. He's and you know what? Innings. You know what they did the other day with him that I loved? What's that? Was move him to the nine hole. Because if there's a guy on third with less than two outs, he is going to get that guy in nine out of ten times. He is. He does, he's, yeah. he's very good at putting it. the ball in the air. Situational hitting. But I, I've mentioned it many times. I don't care what kind of offense you get from the catching position. I don't, as long as you call a good game. Vasquez is going to, by the end of this season, and if we make it to the postseason, have caught 130 innings more than the next guy. It's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. He's not 22. And what? What's the reason for it? For some catchers. What's the reason? Maybe he. Plawecki was hurt. Plawecki was hurt. hurt. They didn't trust Connor Wong. And so he's caught a lot of innings, and Cora really trusts him there behind the dish, and so would I. I think he's a, a very good arm behind the plate, which Plawecki is not. We know Plawecki struggles to throw out runners. A lot of the a lot of the pitching staff seems to trust Christian Vasquez in a way they don't trust Kevin Plawecki yet. Um, but if you take if you cut the innings that Christian Vasquez catches behind the plate by 20%, I bet you boost his batting average by 10%, and his slugging percentage probably goes up 25%. Because that's the Christian Vasquez that we had in 2020. It's the Christian Vasquez we had in 2019. He's just catching far too many innings, and I think that's also, you know, it's injuries. But right now, in the situation we're in with an offensive rut, let let the Tigers try to steal second. I don't care. They're the Detroit Tigers. Is Miguel, is Miguel Cabrera going to steal second on you? No. They have two guys with speed. Oh, well. If they steal second, they steal second. Put your best offensive options in the game and let it roll. Very frustrating for me by, by Alex Cora in this series. I don't want to talk about all of his mistakes because I think some of his mistakes are pitching related and we're going to get really into it in deep dives. That we will. All right. I got enough off my test for this episode. <laughs> probably my, this is probably the most frustrating I've been all season. You know, if, if we're getting shelled in the month of May and we're just a bad team, I'm, I'm just rolling. I'm just going with the flow. But when, when we got a shot here to win a division, not have to play a one game wild card, it's stressful. It's really stressful. I mean, listen, Terry, we are if we go five and two or, or four and three over these next uh seven games between Toronto and Tampa, depending on who we take those games from, we could be in third place in the division. We could be in fourth place in the division, God forbid, or we could be two games clear of first place. It all depends on the matchups and how we do. And don't look now, but the New York Yankees are five games out. Did they? Uh, well, did they're they... gonna get lost in the cornfields of Iowa in like a week, so it's all just, good. We only have, <laughs> we only have a small margin of error here, and it's shrinking really fast. This is it. The whole division is gonna be won in this week. And my it, frustration with the team has never been higher. It's huge because we got two series against the Indians. We got the Twins, who are weaker now because they sold off some pieces. So. We just need to beat these good teams. That way we can just kind of roll through those bad teams with a with a better rotation because we're going to have Sale back. 
and hopefully Arroyo and Schwarber in the lineup. But we're... Hope, hope is coming because Alex Cora's post-game speech today was the best thing I've heard from anyone in the Red Sox organization since April of this year. And we're going to talk about it when we do deep dives. We are. All right, let's get into the studs side of it. Uh, Andrew, go ahead. And we kind of touched on him. Mine was Kike. Um, to this point, it was as he goes, the offense goes, because he was setting the table, but <laughs> my dud didn't really pick him up at all. Um, he was his normal good self. Uh, you know, he did what he needed him to do. I I, I love him. I, I think Kike's been just phenomenal, and he's doing everything you ask for. He's getting on base. What do you have? He had that bomb yesterday to deep left field, uh, followed up by Duran. It was like, oh my god, maybe this is like that Toronto game all over again. Um, and he, he's taken walks. He took three walks in the two games he was in. Uh, hopefully, he's okay, as Joe pointed out um, physically. I am sure I, he's playing at a clip he really d- is not used to playing at. So that could be another reason why he has been getting some extra wind on the bench there, but yeah, no complaints with Kike. And I think he's probably one of the only guys that we can say that about. Yeah. It's nice to see him drawing walks for sure. Cause he wasn't doing that a ton. Uh, the first couple of months, Joe, go ahead. He has absolute command of the strike zone right now. He's not swinging at bad pitches. The fastball up, which was giving him trouble early in the season, he's catching up to, and he's driving the ball. I absolutely love watching Kike hit right now. I just feel like he's one of the only guys who's not carrying his frustration from one at-bat to the next. And so it's refreshing because the rest of this offense is not doing their job. So I'm very happy with Kike uh, in – the leadoff spot right now. I feel like we've been on the seesaw all season. Do we need a leadoff hitter? And every time we think we need a leadoff hitter, here comes Kike. Uh, and if he is hurt, then I think we're in real trouble. I don't have a ton to add. I, I I've been pleasantly surprised with him. I especially being a viable leadoff guy because I didn't think he would be and. He's he's making the best of it, and he's under contract through next season, so it'll be interesting to see if he keeps that spot. But I'm sure he's gonna, you know, he's gonna be productive wherever in the lineup he is. Uh, let's talk about Jaron Duran. Three for eleven, had a home run in game two, four strikeouts, which has kind of been a problem for him. But three for eleven and. Detroit's probably a decent team to try to figure stuff out against. So what's his future? Is he bound for Worcester once we get a couple of these guys back? I could, I, well, probably if they don't think he's going to play every day, but this is what he's supposed, he's supposed to be a two forty hitter. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if people expect him to be like 275, 280. That's just not who he is. He has a lot of swing and miss. Uh, that's just, you know, that's the book on him. If he can hit 240, he's going to give you a good impact on there. And um, he's obviously not doing that right now, but it's super early. We've seen 
so many of these call-ups just struggle mightily. I'm trying to pull up Wander Franco's numbers. I don't know if he's pulled it together, but Kalenic, what he, he his first call-up, he went over 48, and he's the number – he was, at the time, the number three prospect in all of baseball. Yeah, Franco's hitting 244 with uh, – OPS of 696. That's uh, higher though in the last couple of weeks. So he's probably yeah. been okay in that span. But but if like those guys are going to be struggling, the premier one in three prospects in all of baseball, it's very um, fair to believe that, you know, Duran's going to take some time to get acclimated. I mean, it's expected that he's going to take time to get acclimated. You look at, think, think about some of the rookies that in past Red Sox seasons have come in and made a huge impact offensively. Dustin Pedroia hit 184 through May, playing every day at second base. He won Rookie of the Year. The next season, he won MVP. Go a little further on, 2007. I'm sorry, 2007 was Dustin Pedroia. Go a little bit further on. The next guy to really make an impact, Mookie Betts, as a rookie. Mookie Betts, when he first came up that July, the first 10 days, absolute tear, hit 304. You guys know what he did for the next month? He hit 145 for the next month before turning it back on a little later in the season. Granted, we didn't go, you know, win a World Series, but those are the numbers you're going to get from rookies. You can't judge a guy on 50 at-bats in any league. David Ortiz in 2009 was done. He went like 30 for 176 in his first 176 at-bats through May. And then he hit 370 for the rest of the season and ended up with 32 home runs and 107 RBIs. Doesn't matter if you're a rookie or if you're a veteran. You're going to go through patches like this, but especially when you're a rookie, these patches are expected. Anything they give you is a bonus. His 41% strikeout rate at this point is concerning, no doubt. But it's not because he has a bad approach at the plate. He's not swinging at balls outside of the strike zone and fishing like Bobby Dahlbeck. If anything, he's being too patient. He's waiting for the slider so much that he's missing straight fastballs. I don't have an issue with, with Jaron Duran and his play so far. In fact, I think they need to put him in the lineup every day because right now you've got three lottery tickets in the lineup. you got Franchi Cordero, Bobby Dahlbeck, and then right now Marwin Gonzalez. Those three guys are like automatic outs. So if you're going to have patience with Bobby Dahlbeck, you sure as hell better have patience with Jaron Duran. Is I hope he's not Wister bound. I, I hope they find a spot for him on this roster, even if it is – uh, in a speed demon, eighth inning, guy on second base kind of role, a la Dave Roberts, because there's no one else on that team who can fit that role. And he can't help you from Worcester. Well, when a Royal comes back, Kike's going to center. Yes. So Yes, I would imagine so. So Duran has to go to Worcester at that point. Well, at that point... You can put him on the bench and play him against right-handed pitching, where Arroyo has bad splits against lefties, against righties. Um, unless they play him in a platoon. 
unless they keep him up and try to keep Arroyo to like four days a week for you know for first his own three weeks of it. You yeah. could take Verdugo out, I guess, a couple days a week too. But I mean, um, I look at it and go, Arroyo has been hurt four different times this season. Yeah, and he might be up for five minutes <laughs> yeah. again. I it's ridiculous. He's played seventy games, I think, something like that. And it just feels like in order to avoid another IL stint for him, you need to not play him every day. Well, he's gotten some weird ones. He got the collision in out in the outfield, and then hitting the hand twice in the same spot. Sure. I mean, they're not but, they're not conditioning injuries. Right? Yeah, which is injuries. good to see. Yeah, and he talked about how that's what's been keeping him positive. He's like, these are injuries that no one could avoid. Nothing I could have done different. Yeah, not pulling a calf or something. So, but I, I just I feel like he would be more effective in the Steve Pierce role at this point, based on his health and the fact that we're gonna need him down the stretch here and hopefully into October. So I don't want him playing every day, if it means that he can't be ready when we need him in October. I'd rather him be ready to crush left-handed pitching, where Duran struggles anyway, and then. Oh, guess what? There's a guy on guy on second with two down. Let's put him in the. Let's put Michael Chavis' secret weapon out there. It's like every time you need a big hit, he comes through. I want him to be ready. So I hope Duran is is the guy to play opposite. Um, you find a way to fit him in the lineup, and maybe you lose a guy like Franchi Cordero, Raquel Schwarber, and you lose another guy on the roster. I don't know where it would be. Uh, maybe a Yaxel Rios. You go one less pitcher. Um, for his bat. I think Duran is a game changer. I really do. Well, we'll see. I mean, it's not going to be an easy fit one way or the other. Uh, Alex Verdugo, 4 for 11, had a better series offensively, though he did leave five runners on base in that frustrating first game, but still four hits, not too bad. Eduardo Rodriguez finally seemed to right the ship. Five innings pitched. Wasn't super efficient. Walked four guys, but struck out ten. Gave and us changeup was better than it's been all year. Yeah. Six mile an hour slower, which was the key. He went from 87 to 81 miles an hour on the changeup. Now, he throws 93 miles an hour as his fastball. He's not throwing 97. So that difference is the difference between blue pits and and soft all been. <laughs> and swing and, miss, swing and misses and if you look at it like some of the advanced stats i don't want to go too deep into it but like his fielding independent pitching like how well he's doing depending on defense and things like that he's been in the top couple percentile i mean he's been the most unlucky pitcher in baseball maybe the second most unlucky pitcher in baseball by the numbers and it was nice to see him kind of take the defense out of the equation like this is i'm gonna do this um, he did get into a little trouble there when they pulled him. I thought he could have gone another inning if he didn't walk four guys, uh, but he was good. Yeah, he attacked the top of the zone pretty well throughout the game as well. Uh, so we, we might touch on him a little bit and with the rest of the rotation and deep dives, so uh, we'll get into that a little more uh, in depth. Salamora, a couple of scoreless uh, appearances out of the bullpen. Barnes looked good closing out game two. So uh, that's uh, about the, the more notable uh, honorable mention. So let's uh, switch over to the Toronto series. 
Nathan Avaldi versus Alec Manoa. Uh, Terry, one. Terry, I don't want to, I don't want to interrupt you, but we forgot to talk about my stud for the series. Oh my bad. Go ahead, Mr. Phillips Valdez. Of course, my bad. You know, I don't want to interrupt. You, you should interrupt me. He, he was by far and away the best Red Sox player in this series, and he has been since coming back up. The most consistent guy. Lineup, bullpen doesn't matter. Uh, in what facet he's the most consistent guy on the Red Sox so far. Uh, he's gone four outings, three of which were scoreless. One outing where he gave up three runs. 9.2 innings pitched, three runs allowed. He was dominant against the Yankees in a much-needed relief appearance where he came in and pitched four innings, seven strikeouts. Uh, it was the best his fastball has ever looked. Um, the, the time down at Worcester seems to have sharpened his fastball, so he's not just a change-up-only pitcher. And then today... Coming in with the bases loaded and one out in the in the second inning, he managed a super weak ground ball, where granted the runner scored, but only because the it was the first pitch he came in. He had to get off the mound in a hurry, and he had the heads up knowledge to know he's not getting that guy at home, and spin on a dime and throw a bullet to first base to get the runner at first, and then to strike out Miguel Cabrera with a nasty, nasty changeup down in the zone after challenging him with some fastballs. Miguel Cabrera can still hit, so that was still big. And uh, I think without Phillips Valdez's performances in New York and then today, you're looking at much more ugly losses. In fact, you're looking at position player pitching kind of losses in both those games. If... Yaxo, Rios, and, and, and Robles don't come into those two games, especially Robles today, we got a chance to win that game, and it's because Phillips Valdez is a weapon. All of a sudden, he's pitching himself into the conversation as far as who can you trust. So I, I think he was just phenomenal today. He's been phenomenal since coming back up, and he's going to be your Tim Wakefield down the stretch here. He's your rubber arm. How often can you throw Phillips Valdez? I mean, he said it yesterday uh, in an interview. Put me out there for as long as you need, whenever you need. I'm ready to go, and I'll give you my best. And he's not like he's throwing 99, so he can do it. Andrew, thoughts on Valdez? Yeah, I thought Julian Tavares was great. You know, this, so that's my comp right there. I, he, he's our modern Julian Tavares. If we need him to start a game, he'll start a game. If we need him to throw five in uh, relief, he'll throw five in relief. Uh, yep. Yeah. I mean, he's doing exactly what you asked him to do. I agree. I think that stint down in uh, Worcester really did well to him because he's not just relying on one pitch anymore, which gets predictable after a point unless you're Mariano Rivera. Um, uh, you know, he's not going to be your eighth inning guy, but he can be your absolutely trusted sixth inning guy and not just uh, – I'll hold your breath and hope. So it, as you know, the, the season goes on, we're going to need them in bigger spots. The more we push uh, Barnes and Ottavino, who've looked better again. Um, and Whitlock, I, yeah, nothing but respect for the job and the role that um, Phillips Valdez holds. In two out of those four, as Joe was pointing out, the first one was the Garrett Cole game where he had to come in 
in the second inning. And then today in the second inning with the bases loaded, and he only gave up one of those uh, inherited runners. It seems like Valdez really thrives off of the stressful situations, it seems like, because those are, have been his best performances. And then that one three-run outing where he gave up those three earned, it was just a random appearance. Yeah, they he pulled him out of the pen. It. and He just didn't have it that day. I mean, we've seen it bad performances from everybody in this pen but Josh Taylor um, at some point during the season. And it was almost like they were sitting on the changeup. And rather than pitch to the hitter's weaknesses, he just decided to keep going back to the changeup. And like Andrew said, unless you're Mariano Rivera, you can't let them know what you're going to throw every single time uh, without getting hit. So he was more unpredictable today. Big step forward again. Very happy with his progress. Getting into, again, the Toronto series, now that we uh, covered all the bases, uh, Nathan Avoldi. Alec Manoa in game one. This is the biggest game of the series to me. Right away. If if Evaldi loses, it's a tough sell to me that you're getting three that you're getting two wins out of Pavetta, Hauk, and Richards. That's I mean, it, it could happen, Pavetta, but Hauk and Richards? we're gonna we're gonna have to talk about that um in deep dives, I think, for certain. Well, P- Pavetta and Hauk both have the seven inning games, and then Richards closes it out. That's an automatic loss yeah, to it, me. It's definitely that. Corey said there was no change uh, through seven. Oh, that's what you meant. I got gotcha. you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because Corey did make a comment where like day by day at the end, but yeah, yeah. All right. So let's just go back to game one, though. Um, how do you guys feel about it? As I meant, I you know I. Manoa's awesome. Uh, he he's a high lever charm. I don't has he pitched since come back from injury? Maybe he's had one one time out. Uh, I don't know. That's a tough one. I I can't get a good read on this series because weirdly enough, I see them losing the game that they should win and then winning the games they should lose. I just think it's a little weird right now, and that's just my gut feeling at this point. I think they lose game one. I don't think it's close. Um, I'd like to say that Nate Evaldi is going to do what he seems to have done every time we need him to, which is be the stopper. But I don't know that our offense has enough to get the job done in Toronto where emotions are running high for that team. Their first division game back in their own building. Uh, with fans in the stands for the first time in two years. This is why Toronto scares me. I think they're going to be ready to hunt Nathan Ivaldi, and I don't know that our offense can keep up in a slugfest right now. So I think we lose game one. Uh, Manoa has pitched one game since returning. That was on July 29th against the Kansas City Royals. How do you do? Royals. He went seven innings pitched, no earned runs. Yeah. Only struck out four. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. We're, we're playing like the Kansas City Royals right now, though, if we're being completely honest. Uh, so, that it's a it's a tough matchup. Uh, I was just pulling up Evaldi's, trying to get his Toronto numbers here. Um, 
actually Evaldi pitched very well in his last outing against Toronto. That was actually in June, six and two thirds, uh, scoreless as well, and that was his in, only in start. Buffalo, correct? Yes, that would have been Buffalo at that point. So, so I guess it is good that they've only had one look at Avoldi now. Um, the they've had six looks at Pavetta, I think, <laughs> literally. So, um, so yeah. So it's the best matchup. Two two of their better pitchers. I'm gonna lean towards Toronto just because I think they've got the momentum. We don't. I hope I'm wrong. I'm wrong a lot, so hopefully I will be in that one. So Saturday we have the seven-inning doubleheader. The first one starts at 3.05 Eastern. That's going to be Nick Pavetta versus Robbie Ray, who's been pretty tough uh, this year. I think we did get to him in one uh, of the starts. but We did. We, we tattooed him for six runs in yeah. four innings. Yeah. But he's having his best year since probably 2017 with the Diamondbacks. And Pavetta's been up and down. Looked pretty good in his last start against Tampa. But that's been a team he has dominated against. So so if Pavetta's going to get back on track, this would be a lineup I'd like to see it against. My confidence goes up if he has a good outing here against Toronto. How do you guys have that first seven-inning game? I like this day. I like the whole day for them. I, I think they're going to have their backs against the wall. I think the claws are going to come out. And I, Robbie Ray is annoyingly efficient and good this year, but I, we have, we have it on record. They can hit him and they've let him off the hook when they haven't hit him um, in just situations where I thought you, you know, you thought they'd score some runs, but then didn't pull it through. I don't know. I like it. I, I think they win. This team is 19 and 20 for a 488 winning percentage in day games this season. I think that continues. So I think they have Nick Pavetta's number. And I do think our offense is going to play better in the doubleheader. But I, I think we lose this game. I think we probably lose this game pretty handily and it's going to feel like panic mode with whatever lineup comes out for game two of this series. Or game two of the day, rather. I also have the Red Sox losing game one. I I feel much better about the Evaldi start than I do this Nick Pavetta start. Uh, but we'll see. Game three, another really good pitching matchup. Um, Tanner Houck versus... Newly acquired Jose Barrios. And the Red Sox have hit Barrios pretty well. And I think we, ironically, we played him in a seven-inning doubleheader earlier in the year against Minnesota. And Barrios was pitching a good game, but we finally did get to him uh, before he was taken out. And I think he gave up something like four runs in that start. So if we can do that again, I like how a lot more than Pavetta in the earlier game. So I think this is a very winnable game for the Red Sox. I had them win both, both these games. So I, yeah, I, I don't know. Barry Barrios, he's, he's got to show me more than what he's shown. I know he's capable, but I, 
I think he's put some stats up against some inferior competition that may have uh, led to a not undeserving reputation, but might have inflated his reputation a little bit. But I do. I think he is good. I just don't think he's as good. Well, I think Barrios is a three who's uh, the one in a lot of people's minds based on the price tag that was attached to him. And that was a big one. <laughs> deadline. I don't think he's going to live up to expectations on this day. I think we handily win game two of this set. And my reasoning is, is twofold. One, the bats can only struggle for so long. I have us losing in game one of this because we don't play well during the day. Clearly not mourning people. But Tanner Houck's slider against that righty heavy lineup in Toronto has me thinking that he's going to go seven innings. Like he could go all seven. I think he probably strikes out eight guys and gives up one run through five, if I'm realistic. Um, but I think we win that game probably five to one. Maybe maybe four to one, but I think we win that game and set the tone for a big homestand uh, with Tampa coming in. I I like that game as well, and I, I love the fearlessness of Hauk and quite frankly everything about him. He still definitely does need to get that third pitch going, whether it's his splitter or if he's going to throw more sinkers. But he's been pitching well. He's got a two an upper twos ERA on the season. So I like that game. And then finally game four Sunday, Garrett Richards against Hunjin Ryu, who has dominated us in two out of uh, three. We did get to him pretty good in the first meeting, but he has definitely pitched very effectively against us in at least two meetings since then. And if Alex Cora is smart, he's just gonna he's just gonna try to get the most that he can the first time through the order with Richards, and then have a game plan uh, shortly thereafter. All right, so for me, they lose this game four to one. <laughs> Richards looks really good through five innings. Let's you know a couple walks up uh, in the final frame. They don't use any of their A team pitchers because they rely on rely on them so heavily the first three games um, in two days, and then uh, you know the wheels come off with inherit with two inheritors runners scoring, and our you know we we lose that last one. That that's I feel like that's the Richards like playbook lately where it's like oh my god he actually doesn't look that bad, and then like one thing happens, another then like an inheritor runner. Or three comes across. I hate to ever beat the Garrett Richards drum, so I'm not going to do it. I'm going to say two things. One, I don't think Garrett Richards starts on Sunday. This is a bold take. I know Cora has said that Garrett Richards is going to be the starter pretty much all season. He's had his back. Cora is today's post-game press conference. Did you guys watch it? Nope. Well, he was asked if there was going to be changes to the starting rotation this week. And he said, tomorrow we're going with Nate, and we'll see what happens from there. And that got me, my blood pressure went through the roof with excitement. Not even anger, just excitement. Because to me, that means we might not have to watch Richards on Sunday. 
We might get to see Garrett Whitlock. We might get to see name that player. We might even get to see Con- Connor Siebel. That's I mean, what I was ready. wondering. That's five days. Yeah, when you said that, so, that's what I was wondering. There, there are there are plenty of options uh, for for a move to be made here, and I think even if Richards is healthy, he might be a scratch here. You might go with Whitlock. Valdez, Ottavino, Barnes. Because this is the first time that I've ever been excited by the seven-inning doubleheaders. I think Hauk can give us five innings. I think Pavetta, whether he's good or bad, he'll get us through five innings. Either way. So I think we're going to have a rested bullpen. I'm going the opposite of Andrew. I think we're going to have a rested bullpen for the fourth game of this series. I think we're going to use all the bullets in the chamber. Because if you come out of here with a series split, I'm okay with that. Getting ready for three against Tampa. And your ace, the heart and soul of the team, the competitor, the guy who literally cut up jerseys because he has such a competitive spirit, didn't like the uniform and the the feel of the uniform is coming back and he's going to pitch in that next series. We just got to get there. Even if he's not the the 2019 Chris Sale, he's going to be Chris Sale. So I'm hoping that we don't see Garrett Richards. If we do see Garrett Richards, I think it's going to be exactly what you said, Terry. It's going to be, can you give us three innings? And then we'll go to Whitlock for three innings, and then we'll piece it together from there. Um, because I don't think Garrett Whitlock sees a lot of action uh, in case he's needed for game four of this series. Well, I, I, I have Toronto taking it 3-1. to one. I would love a split in this one. I would consider that to be a big victory. I mean, we've only won three of our last ten, so to win two in three days would be would be big. But, Andrew, sounds like you're the opposite. Win three I, uh, out of four. A, no, no, I had a splitting. I had, a split. I had okay. bookend losses, wins in the middle. Gotcha. And, uh... Job as he chugs his massive Powerade. Yeah, I'm trying to get through the uh, the evening tonight with this uh, two liter blue Gatorade here. But yeah, I have us losing the first two, and then winning the second two. I have a feeling there might be a team meeting in there somewhere. There might be a players only closed door meeting, which seems to happen every season that we end up winning something good. There's one point in the season where. The de facto captain gets the guys in a room and says, look, stop playing like crap. Probably happened tonight. I mean, it's, it's a that We haven't heard about it and that, that it happened tonight. But I no, I'm not playing, I'm saying. It might be happening right now. This plane line to Toronto is probably very uncomfortable. Um, and I hope that at some point during this series, the, the guy that does it is J.D. Martinez is Xander Bogarts, is, hell, Nate Evaldi, Matt Barnes. Like, well, it would have had to, you. It would have been tonight because usually the next day you want your best starter to go out. So we can rule it out happening on Saturday night. If, it, if it's happening now, like, that's even better. I haven't heard anything about it, haven't seen anything about it. We might wake up to it tomorrow. But I think that there's going to be a big turning point in the attitude of this team, and it's going to come – 
with Tanner Houck taking the mound for game two? Well, we'll see. I, I It's a team that keeps things close to the vest, so we'll, we'll see if anything comes out after tomorrow's game. If, if suddenly the offense explodes, maybe we will hear about a team meeting. If they get their butt kicked, we're not hearing anything. <laughs> so, uh, so we'll wrap on that. Again, deep dives 24 hours after this one. Let's see, that would actually be Saturday morning, and then we'll be back Sunday night to discuss what did happen in this Toronto series. Take care.